Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's American Passages. I'm Dr. J. Today, I'll be reading from two different works of early American literature. The first presents the case for religious freedom in America. The second presents the case for religious conformity. These two competing visions of America have been present since the first English settlers began arriving on North America's eastern seaboard and continue to be present today. For most Americans, understanding and approving one or the other of these visions comes easily. Understanding both is less common, though doing so might be a first step toward a more civil American society than Americans live in today. Today's first passage was written by Roger Williams in 1655. Williams came to America in 1630 as part of the great Puritan migration that led to the founding of Boston. Trained as a minister, Williams settled in Salem, 30 miles north of Boston. Though a Puritan minister, Williams soon came into conflict with authorities both over issues of land ownership, he believed the native people to be the rightful owners of the land the Puritans settled on, and religious freedom. He felt that civil law should have no role in enforcing matters of religious conscience. He was forced to leave Massachusetts and settled in what is now Rhode Island, purchasing land from the Narragansett Nation and founding the town of Providence as a haven for religious freedom, which Puritan Massachusetts was not. Even in Providence, though, there were some who found his position on religious freedom too liberal, claiming that it would lead to the breakdown of society into lawlessness. He answered this charge in a short but influential letter, which I'll read in its entirety. I should mention that he refers to Catholics as Papists and Muslims as Turks, both common usage among Protestants at that time. Both, together with Jews, weren't tolerated in England at that time, nor in many parts of New England for a long time to come, if now. Letter to the Town of Providence by Roger Williams that ever I should speak or write a tittle that tends to such an infinite liberty of conscience is a mistake in which I have ever disclaimed and abhorred. To prevent such mistakes, I shall at present only propose this case. There goes many a ship to sea, with many hundred souls in one ship, whose weal and woe is common and is a true picture of a commonwealth, or a human combination or society. It hath fallen out that sometimes that both Papists and Protestants, Jews and Turks, may be embarked in one ship, upon which supposal I affirm that all the liberty of conscience that I ever pleaded for turns upon two hinges, that none of the Papists, Protestants, Jews, or Turks be forced to come to the ship's prayers or worship nor compelled from their own particular prayers or worship, if they practice any. I further add that I never denied that notwithstanding this liberty, the commander of this ship ought to command the ship's course, 
yea, and also command that justice, peace, and sobriety be kept and practiced both among the seamen and all the passengers. If any of the seamen refuse to perform their services, or passengers to pay their freight, if any refuse to help in person or purse toward the common charges or defense, if any refuse to obey the common laws and orders of the ship concerning their common peace or preservation, if any shall mutiny and rise up against their commanders and officers, if any should preach or write that there ought to be no commanders or officers, because all are equal in Christ, therefore no masters nor officers, no laws nor orders, nor corrections nor punishments, I say, I never denied, but in such cases, whatever is pretended, the commander or commanders may judge, resist, compel, and punish such transgressors according to their deserts and merits. This, if seriously and honestly minded, may, if it so please the Father of lights, let in some light to such as willingly shut not their eyes. I remain studious of your common peace and liberty. To many today, this idea of freedom of religious conscience is a given, however radical it may have been in Williams's time. Williams's letter isn't a statement that solves all problems, as just what the laws that all must obey for justice, peace, and sobriety are to be still needs to be determined. But the principle that all those aboard the ship must be allowed to practice or not practice their religion as they see fit shouldn't be a question. What each individual believes is not the concern of the whole ship, but only the liberty of each to believe. Yet the contrary view was held in much of New England at that time, and continues to be strongly held by many Americans today. It is well expressed by another Puritan minister, Francis Higginson, who came to Massachusetts with other Puritans and settled in Salem only a year earlier, in 1629. Higginson kept a journal of his crossing of the Atlantic with his fellow Puritans, which includes this incident. From the Journal of Francis Higginson Wednesday, a wet morning. The wind was west-southwest, and in the afternoon, northwest by west, both being contrary to our course, which was to sail west by south. Thus it pleased God to lay his hand upon us by sickness and death in contrary winds, and stirred up some of us to make the motion of humbling ourselves under the hand of God by keeping a solemn day of fasting and prayer unto God, to beseech him to remove the continuance and further increase of these evils from us, which was willingly condescended unto as a duty very fitting and needful for our present state and condition. Thursday, there being two ministers in the ship, Mr. Smith and myself, we endeavored together with others to consecrate the day as a solemn fasting and humiliation to Almighty God, as a furtherance of our present work. And it pleased God the ship was becalmed all day, so that we were freed from any encumbrance. And as soon as we had done prayers, 
see and behold the goodness of God. About seven o'clock at night, the wind turned to northeast, and we had a fair gale that night as a manifest evidence of the Lord's hearing our prayers. The contrast is strikingly clear. Both Williams and Higginson give the image of a ship, figuratively in Williams' letter, literally in Higginson's journal. On a ship, the wheel or woe of one is the wheel or woe of all, in that if the ship sinks, all are thrown into the ocean. For Williams, the fate of the ship in a storm depends on all those aboard working together against the forces of nature, regardless of their religious beliefs and practices, which themselves have no bearing on the situation at hand. For Higginson, though, the wheel or woe of those aboard ship depends upon another factor, the favor of God, and God will show his favor on the ship as a whole when those aboard acknowledge him through their common religious practice. Those aboard Higginson's ship of Puritan Christians humble themselves to God. They fast and pray together, and the Lord hears their prayers. Just as Williams's figurative ship is an image of a commonwealth, so too is Higginson's literal ship. A commonwealth, a nation, whose citizens don't humble themselves before God, will at best be left to its own devices. At worst, it will please God to lay his hand upon its citizens by sickness and death in contrary winds, whatever the practice of this or that individual. The weal or woe of all depends on corporate, not individual, obedience to God. It isn't just individuals who suffer or enjoy the wrath or blessings of God. It's the nation as a whole. These contrary ways of thinking shouldn't be thought of as secular on the one hand and religious on the other. Both Williams and Higginson were Puritan ministers in the same town at the same time, equally devout and equally sincere. Each cared for the common weal of all. Nor should one be thought of as American and the other not. This idea of a Puritan America as God's chosen people was characteristic of Puritan New England, but not of the colonies as a whole. Virginia was founded by adherents of the Church of England that the Puritans came to America to get away from. Maryland was founded as a haven for Catholics, Pennsylvania as a haven for Quakers. Manhattan was originally settled by the Dutch and quickly became a cosmopolitan center of trade, intermingling Protestants, Catholics, Jews, Muslims, and pagans of any and every sort. German Lutherans would expand into the Midwest, and eventually the United States would absorb both the French Catholic Mississippi and the Spanish Catholic West. At the time of the American Revolution, European Enlightenment thought was pervasive among the leaders of the revolutionary movement. Thus, the religious liberty of conscience championed by Roger Williams came to the fore in Philadelphia in the writing of the American Constitution. The perspective of Puritan Boston, though, expressed by Francis Higginson, didn't disappear, 
though in the centuries since American independence it has migrated from Boston, it too retains a strong, even expanding presence in American society today. These two visions of America have coexisted now for 400 years, never completely happily, yet perhaps never as contentiously as they do today since Roger Williams was banished from Boston. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.